Hi, Smart Community friends. I'm back with another bonus episode of the Smart Community Podcast, sharing various guest answers to the question, where to next for smart cities and communities? And this time I'm sharing with you the answers from these guests. Katie Patrick from episode 234, Ned Stabler from episode 236, Stefan Verhost from episode 235, and Marius Silvesterson from episode 233. Some themes that come through in the guest answers are around digital tools and technologies, as well as data and how data can be used to improve decision making. It is becoming more and more important to start showing our communities real-time data to allow them to make better informed decisions. Digital tools and new technologies play a large role in this, firstly to disseminate collected data to the community and secondly allowing for better public engagement, both of which contribute to better decision making. Without knowledge and good quality data, people do not have a reason to take action, make better decisions or change their behaviour for the better. As Stefan Verhorst says, smart communities will realise that it's not about the city infrastructure, but it's really about the kinds of decisions that can be improved. So I think smart communities will have to become smart decision environments. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Well, where to next for smart cities and communities? Uh, yeah, well, for me, I mean, I, I don't know if I can speak to like the whole world cities, uh, but for me, what I'm really interested in at the moment is really my light is going to arrive in two weeks. It's a circular light that is 800 millimeters wide and it's programmable to our application and it will just change color all through 24 hours and show you the grid's CO2 emissions. And I'm going to drive it around to a whole bunch of town squares and I'm going to put it out and I'm going to ask people about it and I'm going to photograph it in the town square and try and uh, sell the concept. And nobody has ever put environmental data like this. I mean, we're using grid CO2, so it's a nice easy number to work with, but nobody ever, I mean, I've looked around the world for this and if someone has seen it, please send it to me because I haven't seen it, has put environmental data like this or carbon emissions for that particular location out publicly for everyone to see. And I'm super, super curious to see how that will affect everybody. So my role in the world of smart cities, I think is going to just get people's environmental footprint or cities' environmental footprint, put it out on the street so you can see it. That's what my place is in the world right now. Mm, I love it. I feel like I've, I have definitely seen or there's some stuff been planning in Queensland here of one of the councils doing some yeah light base, but not not emissions. So I haven't seen that yet. But they're looking at using lights for um if there's because there's a big koala area, and so if a koala comes uh, and it's crossing the road, then the lights will go red or something like that. So then people go, oh, there's koalas around, and then they can show it on like the big facade of like the koala crossing the road and stuff like that. Anyway, that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about yours. But I'm really excited, is what I want to say because I can't wait to see these photos of your light in different city city squares. It's going to be really cool. 
Well, you can see it on Instagram in the factory in China right now. It's just a light there. But yeah, it'll come and then we'll be, I'll be able to go around and then I'll just, you know, see how it works, see how it affects people. So where to next for smart communities? Where to next? Well, I mean, we, have, we have a lot of uh, digging out to do from COVID. I like to think that it's going to be done far more equitably and that people are going to have a lot more say in, in what happens in and around them. You know, Detroit is a, is a little bit of a different case. I think I don't think there's a, an Australian uh, equivalent where you have, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 vacant homes and properties in a city. So we have some of our own challenges that you, you, know, you probably won't find. And, and that is where I think we're going to spend a good bit of our time is how do we you know, redevelop these commercial corridors and these neighborhoods in an equitable fashion. And there'll be technology there, clearly. And some of it will be, frankly, fintech. And you know, how do we allow neighbors to invest in the redevelopment of their own neighborhoods so they continue to have ownership? Uh, some of it will be in some of the sensors and you know, mobility type tech around how do we make it safer uh, for them to get across streets? How do we get them last mile transit? How do we get them to the doctor or back? How do we build a transit system that works better uh, for everyone, especially people who are challenged in their mobility and things like that? So, you know, those are a lot of the big issues that that we're looking at, you know, specifically to Detroit, while also keeping our, our mind thinking about the rest of the world. So, you know, we've got a bunch of the electrification of the vehicle, a lot of the connected and autonomous vehicles that we're doing real world planning on. So connecting Ann Arbor and Detroit, for example, through a connected and autonomous uh, vehicle user experience across one of our major highways so that we can really real world all this stuff, that's going to have application, you know, across the world. And we think we're really uniquely positioned to capitalize on that, given the amount of engineering talent that we have here in the region. Mm. Yeah, no, I think what you're talking about there as well is how we integrate that across the whole community. And, and as in, you know, it's not just about vehicles, it's about public transit and people walking, cycling, et cetera, et cetera, and bringing those things together in a more, I mean, in an equitable fashion. So then it's, you don't just have to have, you know, fancy autonomous vehicle to get across town, but actually building an integrated system that works for people. And it won't look the same as a super dense, you know, inner city. It's not going to look like that. And regional Australia has the same paradigm where where it's it's not going to look exactly like that but there's so many things that we can do to improve it and yes we may still have a vehicle we may still have you know be driving across town or whatever but how we make that more sustainable more equitable etc etc i think there's lots of shift that can happen in that space you notice we haven't even mentioned the words climate change uh in this conversation at all and i think part of it is because you know we talk to consumers and end users Part of the reason why climate change has been so long for us to, to see the real technological advance on it is there isn't a pain point for a lot of there hasn't been a, an obvious pain point for a lot of people. I think that's starting to change as you're seeing you know more wildfires and more uh, extreme weather conditions and people are starting to wake up and say, oh, maybe that once in a hundred year flooding that we've had three times this decade, uh, maybe we should try to do something about that. Uh, so you're going to see more. I mean, I just got solar panels put on my house uh, last year. I think you're going to see a lot more of that as those technologies become more uh, consumer uh, available, you know, cost-wise and people are more used to seeing it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the pain point, it's unfortunate that we have to wait for that extreme pain point, so particularly in Western societies. But yeah, then what are we going to do about that? I think is a big thing. It's like there's, yeah, technology can help us, but also making sure that 
we have that end of life, you know, when we are investing in all this like envirotech or whatever, then what are we doing with that end of life? So it's like a whole life cycle. I mean, it's, it's a huge area, uh, a huge complex web, um, and it won't just be one thing, won't be one solution, which is a fairly obvious thing to say. But I think sometimes we forget about, okay, cool, what are we going to do about it? It's like, well, there's multiple things that multiple people are doing already. And then, yeah, I guess streamlining those things and, and making sure they all connect in together. I think one of the ways we do ourselves a disservice uh, when we talk about climate change is that, is that we talk about it as if in the year 2050, if we don't do anything, we're all going to die and the world is just going to burn up into a, you know, and the reality is that's not what's going to happen. There will be more extreme weather. There will be less natural resources. There will be more costs associated with some things. Maybe there will be, there'll be less fish or there'll be, you know, more whatever, but it's not like someone's going to flip a switch in 2050. That doesn't mean there aren't some, you know, real ramifications that we need to be working on. But I think when, when people try to scare folks into, oh no, the world is going to catch on fire. We won't be able to breathe. I don't know if you remember the kids wearing gas masks while they're, you know, okay, that's not what it's going to be like. And I think it's easy to push back against that kind of almost hysteria, if you will, uh, which keeps people from recognizing that we could make some really good long-term investments that would would be good for our economy and our environment, uh, as well as making things equitable and, and good for human beings too. But I don't know. We'll solve that problem next week. Where to next for smart communities? Well, I think, again, I think smart communities will realize that it's not about, per se, the infrastructure, but it's really about the kinds of decisions that uh, can be improved, right? So I think smart communities will have to become smart decision environments that are inclusive and that also realize that there are different needs and different segments that will need to uh, be taken into account. So yeah, so I think that's one. I think also smart cities are going to have to become more focused on equity and really think about how does, anyway, if we are so-called smarter, does that apply to all, right? Or are we actually uh, in making systematic injustices even worse? And so, so those are the other big, I think, challenges where smart communities can make a difference, but will have to step up. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the smart for all is something that's really important and definitely close to my heart as well, because if we're just making things smarter for some, yeah, you just that digital divide and and because digital life is real life, everything is increasing, which is the complete opposite of, in my opinion, a smart community. Yeah, and, and look, if you think about data, there's also a lot of, anyway, the so-called invisibles, right? And so, unfortunately, anyway, especially if you start using non-traditional data sets, then quite often people that might already be vulnerable are not even counted. And uh, and as you know, there's a, there's a reason why we talk, if those that are counted count, and so uh, those that are not counted quite often are not even uh, acknowledged. And I think uh, those invisibles uh, in a smart community could become more vulnerable because if you start using data to make decisions, then actually their uh, needs and interests are not taken into account. So there's a whole set of concerns there. At the same time, some of those invisibles, anyway, making them visible has uh, clear threats as well. And so here, like in, anyway, we did a whole thing on refugees and migrants here in New York City as well. 
Now, of course, anyway, at the time of Trump administration, that was even more problematic. But anyway, they didn't want to be visible because it uh, had uh, huge uh, challenges in actually being deported the moment you know where uh, actually you live and what your needs might be. So uh, it's not easy, but I think at least being aware of those challenges, uh, I think, will make smart communities smarter. Mm, yeah, it's definitely complex because if it wasn't, then we would have figured it all out by now. Where to next for smart communities? So I guess I really want to to build these tools or to reach out for for what's already on the marketplace to to take our citizens' engagement to the next level. So that's that's very high on the agenda. So we have a task force working at the moment within the city of Copenhagen that is looking like across all different types of citizens' engagement. So what would be the barriers and what would be the opportunities for getting a, a much more continuous influx of information and, and opinions and voices and from the citizen side. So I would definitely look into that for the next year or so and, and hopefully come back with some ways of thinking about that and also perhaps with some concrete uh, means of, of citizens' uh, engagement in, in the digital age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good one because I think, as we said tech is here whether we like it or not, but data is here and increasing whether we like it or not. So how can we use it for public good and get real, genuine public outcomes uh, with it? Because it is there and it is underutilised at the moment, but what can we do to be able to really feed that into the decisions that are all, that have to be made? These things are not like they're being made I guess, on the limited or the, uh, you know, available data that was available in the past and continues to be at that level. But there's so much more data and we can make that so much more richer and really feeding in the community experience. I think that's really important. Are you looking for an engaging speaker, MC or facilitator for your next big event? Then we've got you covered. Zoe is a go-to speaker, MC, and conversation facilitator with a difference. She's a master at simplifying the complex and making connections you might never see. Book Zoe for your next event. Email hello at mysmart.community or head over to her speaker page, www.mysmart.community forward slash speaking. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Community podcast is what you're looking for.